I'd like everybody to turn their Bibles to Psalm 90, if you have a Bible, uh, and I hope you do. And if you don't, there's one in the pew in front of you. Uh, Psalm 90 is going to be our text tonight. We're also going to be turning to two other passages in the New Testament. They'll be easy to find, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you those whenever we get, uh, when we get close to reading them. Um, but I really think this is going to be a good time around God's Word and, and with God's people and under God's Spirit. So uh, whether you think a lot about the end of the year or if it's just another sequence of days to you, I I think we all can agree that the passage of time, any passage of time, regardless of how you track it, it's pretty significant. Uh, I mean, we can brush off um, another year, we can brush off our birthdays, but just the general progression of time should not be downplayed if we believe in God. And I want to try to connect those dots for you tonight. And if you've never thought about this, hopefully it'll put in perspective something that is very serious and very important, especially as we close one year and begin a new year. But we as believers, we as the people of God, we should see the significance in the passing of time, in the progression of time, in the flow of one year to another, mainly because time passed is time spent, Uh, as in it's a window in which you lived and either you used it wisely or you foolishly wasted it. So as believers, we know that we are accountable for everything that God has given us even especially our time, right? And if God's given us anything, it's the time that we get to spend on this earth. Every day is from him. And we know that, right? I think sometimes stating it out loud makes us a little bit more aware of it, makes us a little bit more sober about it. Um, Every moment is from God. So with each passing segment of time, we are managing something that ultimately does not belong to us. The time isn't ours. We're borrowing it, right? We're on God's time. Now, another way of putting it is time passed is time lost. As in it's a window of time, a window of life that we're not getting back. So what we did in that window uh, leaves a permanent imprint on the world. Again, you might not chart it from January to December or from one birthday to another, but the general basic passage of time should not be scoffed at as unimportant. The Bible is full of reminders that God wants us to pay attention to time, uh, particularly in how we spend it. And and there are milestones and markers built into the universe uh, that seem to nudge us along in taking serious every day, every month, and every year that passes. And we're not going to get into the the science of it all. But think about Genesis 1, how the Bible introduces us the sun and the moon and tells us that that that, determines uh, and denotes the day and the night from one day to another. Genesis 1 gives us a very clear progression of time from one day to another, showing us that God accomplished specific things across that period of time. So those reference points are meant to lead us along as we step into this life and live from day to night again and again. And of course, uh, we know from basic science that the rotation and orbit of the earth is how we measure days, how we measure years. And there are processes in which God put in place, right? That God's the one that put all that in motion. And it's him, uh, it's, it's him that, that, that designed all that and, and, and set all that 
up the way that we have discovered it to work. Uh, and we read that the Bible, uh, there are plenty, there's plenty of proof in the Bible that the Hebrews had an early understanding before many other cultures. They understood that the moon, the cycles of the moon, denoted the different months of the year. Uh, that's why you'll see that they had special worship services on the new moon. That The Hebrew people were one of the earliest civilizations that divided the year up into months because they knew that the, the way the earth spun around the, the sun, the way the, the moon rotated around the, the earth, that that denoted a passage of time. So you'll see in, in, in uh, the, the, the books of Moses that they talk about the new moon festivals, which meant every month they would have a special worship service to, to denote that one month is past. And, and of course, they also understood that people's age was based on the year that passed. So they studied the stars and they studied the way that the earth fit into the greater universe. And, and, and they came up with things that it took would take thousands of years for the rest of the world to figure out. So, so as, as tempting as it is to say, well, time doesn't mean anything. Well, you know, yeah, it's just another year, just another day, just another month. You know, and, and I was guilty of that for a long time, kind of being flippant about it, being a new year and being a new whatever. Uh, but, but it's really unbecoming of a believer to do such a thing because it's kind of a, a, kind of a disrespectful thing towards God because he's the one that started the clock and he's the one that designed the days and the months and the years as we now understand them to work. So, so I think it's a pretty dis- disrespectful thing to think, well, it's not a big deal that we're going from one year to another. So, so put it this way. Time is from God. Therefore, time is for God. So being able to divide time up into days and months and years helps us understand how limited our time is, how short our time is, but also helps us being able, be able to devote a particular period of time and make the best use of our time. So, so again, I know it's easy to say, well, it's just another day. What's the difference in Monday and Tuesday? What's the difference in December and January? What's the difference in 2022 and 2023? But, but I think there's a big difference because time past is time spent. Time past is time lost. So what we've done is done. We can't undo it. We can't change it. But what we do is an opportunity that we will only get one chance to make the most of, make the best use of. And again, if time is from God, then that means time is for God. And you already know that. You already believe that. But I hope this helps you kind of put into, uh, puts into words um, why we should take serious the passage uh, of time. Now, I want us to walk through a passage that I often turn to this time of year, and that's Psalm 90, uh, which is written by Moses, which is a, rare, a rarity. Most of the Psalms are written by David or the choirs that David put in place. But this one was written by Moses before there ever was a book of Psalms, which is pretty unique, I think. Um, it was included in David's songbook, the book of Psalms. Um, and, and it must have been passed down from Moses through the generations. Psalm 90 is probably one of the most sobering texts that, that you can read uh, because it causes us to consider how we relate to God. Uh, it causes us to understand the scale uh, of the universe and how, how small we are compared to how big God is and, and, and the difference between our dwelling place and God's dwelling place, just on a basic level of existence. And, and we'll talk about that uh, in detail. I want you to follow along. We're going to read verses 1 through 12, and then we're going to break this uh, text down into three sections. Uh, so let's look at Psalm 90, verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. 
Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man to destruction or to dust and say, return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it's past and like a watch in the night and you carry them away like a flood. They are like sheep in the morning. They are like grass, which grows up in the morning. It flourishes and grows up in the evening. It is cut down and withers away. For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh, or like a breath of air. The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, or labor and toil." For it is soon cut off, and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Again, I don't know of a more sobering text. And by that, I mean a text that makes you sit up a little bit straighter, open your eyes a little bit wider, Think a little bit clearer. Um, I want to focus on the first two verses uh, uh, before we get into the deep part of the text. Let's read those again. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. So he's talking about all generations. God is our dwelling place. God is where our life comes from. God is where we, are, we, we are, derive our life. God sustains our universe. And, and again, that's deeper than we can ever imagine. He says, before there were mountains, but, but before you formed the earth and the world, you existed. And again, we can't comprehend that. We'll try to, but we really will never be able to understand it fully. From everlasting to everlasting. So we exist in a little period, a little bracket of time, but God, you are much bigger. You are greater. You are beyond what we understand and comprehend. So let me just kind of put that as simply as I can. God exists outside of time, outside of our parameters. So we have parameters that we live by, years, months, days, hours, seconds. We have certain barriers that we exist within, right? We don't understand time beyond it begins and it ends. But God is not limited by those barriers, by those parameters. God exists outside of time. And again, our tiny, little, fragile minds cannot grasp this. And, and, and here's what happens sometimes. We get frustrated when we don't understand something. Have you ever had that happen before? You, you hear something that makes no sense, and your response is to dismiss it. And, and that's our nature's way of throwing a tantrum because we don't understand how, God, how God's nature is. And, and our little minds hear something that we don't understand, and we say, well, that doesn't make any sense. It must not be real or it must not matter. Our minds don't know how to comprehend the idea that God exists outside of this universe that we live in. And I don't expect us to be able to figure it out tonight in 15 minutes but, or 20 minutes or however long we would spend on it. But I want you to at least acknowledge the fact that we are limited to a very finite period of time, yet God exists outside of that. I think a lot of us, uh, I think we come up against things that are beyond our imagination and we, we say things like, well, that doesn't make any sense, therefore it must not be important. But what reality is, it's an opportunity for us to bow down in front of God and recognize that there are some things that he, there's some things about him that are higher and greater than us that we'll never figure out, but we just need to give him 
prays for. Isaiah 55 verse 9 says this, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. This is God talking, obviously. My thoughts higher than your thoughts. So it's good for us to come to the place where we are are speechless. I think the problem with most Christians today is we think we know everything, and we think we're the smartest person in the room all the time. That's not true. We We can know the Bible front and back, cover to cover, verse by verse, and that doesn't mean we have any information compared to what God has and what God knows. It's good for us to come to the end of ourselves and give God praise as the being who is greater than us, as the God who is above us. But let me try to explain, again, again, foolishly as it may be, let me try to explain to you the difference between our existence and God's existence. And again, if this makes no sense to you, that's fine. You know, we'll move on to better things in a minute. So, you and I, we live in this blue, big blue bubble called the universe, right? There, there's, gal- there's solar systems and galaxies, and there's the universe that contains all the galaxies. But here's the thing about our universe. It had a beginning, right? Genesis 1, God said, let there be, and there was, right? God said, let there be light, and the light happened, and the stars and the moon and all the galaxies and all the universes that exist, right? All the, all the galaxies that exist in the universe. God started it, right? We exist in a universe that had a beginning, and it's going to have an end. Does that make sense? We exist in a universe that God started, and one day, God will end. Everything in that blue bubble had a beginning and has an end. It started in Genesis 1, and it's going to end someday. We don't know when. But, but, do, you not, but do you know that God is not limited to that blue bubble? That Genesis 1-1, that is not God's beginning, that's our beginning. That's not the, universe, the, the eternal realm that God lives in. It's beginning, that is our universe's beginning. Again, we can't understand this, we can't comprehend this, this is beyond us, but I want you to at least try to understand this. That our universe had a beginning, God has no beginning. He always has been. So there is a realm out there. There is a reality out there where God has always been. And that's where heaven is. That's where we're going one day, right? But this little blue bubble, you know, where earth is and Mars and Jupiter and the sun and all the other galaxies, this little blue bubble, it's just a little timeline. It had a beginning. It has an end. It reflects things that exist beyond our reality. So I want you to think about our existence like that. Our universe had a beginning, has an end. There are finite resources. There's a temporary reality. God set it in motion, and the Bible tells us that one day it's going to come back to him, and it's going to end. God exists outside of our bubble, outside of this existence. Our nature wants to shrink God down and put him inside our bubble. Our nature wants to bring God into the blue. Our nature wants to bring God into our parameters. But don't fall for that bait. God is beyond. God is greater. He is beyond what we can comprehend here and now. Don't be tempted to pull God down because he's beyond us. He exists outside of this little timeline that we live in. And that's good news for us because one day this little blue little speck won't be here. Again, we can't, if we try to think about that, we get scared because our minds had a beginning, right? 
So we can't comprehend a mind that doesn't have a beginning because we had a beginning. There's a point where you can't remember back farther, right? And as you get older, that point comes closer to you, right? Because you forget. We can't comprehend what it's going to be like whenever we shut our eyes for the last time. Again, because we are fragile, finite creatures. So Psalm 90 wants us to understand our place. So here's the reason for this exercise. Psalm 90 wants you to understand where you fit in to the reality and where God fits in. Clearly, God is telling us in this chapter, I'm bigger than you. Do do you get the drift? That I am beyond you, I'm I'm greater than you. And it's not trying to taunt us. It's just trying to encourage us that there is a realm beyond ours that supports ours, that one day when it's gone, we will step into a greater reality. Now, verses 3 through 11 definitely, definitely make us feel small and weak and powerless and helpless, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. We shouldn't fool ourselves into thinking that we are sufficient in and of ourselves. But, but let me tell you what this text is meant to do. It's not trying to beat down the average person struggling to make sense of it all. This is a reality check on anybody that thinks there's something big. And there's a few people in the world that think there's somebody's, right? Moses is writing this to Israel as it's about to take the promised land, and he's warning them, don't forget how you fit into God's greater reality. We read about this in Deuteronomy where Moses is warning, literally warning Israel again and again and again, things like this. Be Take heed. Let's go to the, yeah, take care lest you forget the Lord your God. So we read things like that all throughout uh, Deuteronomy where Moses is telling the people, the children of Israel, hey, be, beware lest you forget it's God who's put all this in motion. But, but again, we do forget. The reason we forget is because we are limited to time. Yet God is eternal. God does not have those same limitations that we have. This passage is for the person or the nation that forgets how it fits into God's greater plan in God's kingdom. This passage is for the rich and powerful, seemingly invulnerable, that exalts itself more than it should. Than it should. Uh, this passage is for those like Pharaoh who were arrogant and thought that they were above God or greater than God. For Nebuchadnezzar who was full of pride yet was brought low. All those who did not acknowledge God's superiority. God wanted Israel to know that it was in them to forget too. And come on, it's in us, isn't it? It's in us to forget how we fit into God's plan, how we, uh, we are just a little speck, right? On a little blue marble in a sea of, of, of deep space, right? We are so small in light of what God is going God has got going on. Uh, we all, we make life about ourselves. And again, I'm not trying to pick on anybody. We all do this. We make life about ourselves, our families, our cities, our country. I mean, we need to check all this in with God's rule. Psalm 90 tells us that if our lives are not dedicated to God, then when our time is up, all of the, all of our lives, all of us run the risk of being washed out and forgotten. He uses phrases like being swept away, consumed, passed away, withering away. Do you, do you notice the trend throughout the, throughout the, 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 the chapter? Uh, again, he, he says in verse number uh, five, carried away. Uh, he says in verse number six, cut down and withered away. Verse number seven, consumed by. Verse number nine, like a sigh, breathed out. Do, do you see it? Verse number uh, uh, 10, flying away or blown away. So you get the idea that we are holding on for dear life. 
They, our lives are fragile and temporary and vulnerable. So checking that in with God's reality gives us confidence and comfort. What does verse 12 say? Teach us to number our days so that we might gain a heart of wisdom. And this is the purpose for this talk tonight. Properly respecting time puts our lives in proper perspective. Properly respecting time puts our lives in proper perspective. Now, I know there's a part of us, whether you know, we, we say, well, we, this is, we say this about young people. This is not true just about young people. It's true about all people, right? We all lose respect for time at some point or another, a lot of the time. But properly respecting time puts our lives in proper perspective. Now, Moses is not praying that God teaches how to count days, weeks, or years. He's praying that we learn how to make our days, weeks, and years count. See the difference? He, he doesn't care if you count your days. Well, this is 2020. This is 2022. This, he doesn't care what, you, what, what the number is on it all. He's, care, he, he's praying that we make our days count, that we make our days matter. So I thought we'd, what we do tonight for the rest of our time is look back at the year that was and look forward to the year that will be under this idea of making our time count. Because as this passage tells us, maybe it warns us even, one day our time will run out. And the question will be, how did we spend our days? Did we finish well? Did we complete this life as we should have? Now, I, I don't mean that did we live right at the very last minute? Uh, did, did we complete our task? Uh, but, but did we complete our task? Did we accomplish the goals that God assigned us to the very end? Were we faithful throughout all of our days? And if it dawns on us that we haven't been living well and that we aren't finishing or completing our lives well, all the more reason to dedicate whatever might be left to God. So I, I think... I think we'll start on that note. We'll continue on that note uh, with respect to what's left of 2022 and maybe what's left of our lives. Flip over to Matthew 20. I want to read this parable that Jesus told. Uh, you've heard it before, maybe not studied it that often, but we're going to look, read it and then just briefly summarize it um, on the idea of finishing well. Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16, Jesus tells a parable uh, about workers in a vineyard about a landowner who was hiring laborers for his field and people began to trickle in throughout the day. Listen to what Jesus said, verse one of chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, when he agreed with the laborers for a Daenerys a day, he sent them into his vineyard and he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I'll give to you. So they went. Again, he went out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, why have you been standing idle all day? And they said to him, because no one hired us. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, you will receive. So when the evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the landowners and give the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those who came were hired up at the 11th hour, they received a Daenerys. But when the, when the first came, they supposed they would receive more. But they likewise received each a Daenerys. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying that these last men have worked only one hour and made equal to us who have borne the burden in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, friend, 
I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a Daenerys? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to the last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? Or do you see evil because of my goodness? Jealousy, envy is the idea there. So the last will be first, the first last, for many are called, but few are chosen. Now let me just explain what I believe this text is about in one simple point. This text is about recognizing God's graciousness and God's generosity and honoring him with respect to his blessings over our lives. That's important, with respect to the blessings over our lives because we answer for us, not somebody else. This story isn't meant to get everybody, to get everyone arguing about who's more holy because how long they've been saved. Uh, This text is to make all of us aware that if not for God's grace, none of us would be saved. Did you see the point? That they all were agreed to work for a Daenerys. Daenerys is salvation. Daenerys, the Daenerys is salvation in Christ. They all received the same gift because there's only one gift to receive. This text is not about making us argue, well, I've worked 11 hours, you've worked one. This text is about all of us being aware that if not for God finding us, we would be lost and wasting our lives. The emphasis also is that we don't have to live in regret for what we might have wasted, but we must live with reverence for whatever is left of our lives. Do you you see the point there? That those that came in at the beginning of the day, they had a whole day to work. Those that came in at the end, they had a short window to work. But the point is not that you would regret the, the time that you didn't work. The point is that you make the most of what you have in front of you. If you've been saved since you were a child, that means you've had a lot more to be accountable for. But that shouldn't make us puff up towards those who maybe didn't get saved until later in life. Listen, I'll never understand Christians who get angry at those who maybe didn't come to Christ as soon as they did. Why are we angry? The God who saved us saved us from a life of waste and grief and pain. Had we been left out in the marketplace, who knows what we would have wasted our lives on. So thank God for the grace that saved us when it did and the mercy that got our depraved soul to wake up. And we must use our time well since if we've been given any measure of it. And thank God that he found someone who may have been at the very last minute of their way. Thank God the same grace that saved us early can save someone late. It's the grace of God that does the job no matter what. And we who have been saved at any point in the day, we should be mindful of that. When God saves us, we realize that we've been made accountable for a great work. It's the graciousness and generosity and the goodness of God that gets us in the door. Let us not forget that. Moses and Jesus are both trying to get us to understand God is greater than us. He is gracious and generous, and it's his goodness and faithfulness that gives us purpose. So no matter what hour you started working, January 1st of this year or December 28th of this year, can we make a point to make the most of whatever God has given us? And listen, it can't be ignored. Jesus taught this in Luke 12, that 
To whom much was given, of him much will be required. From him to whom they've entrusted much, they will demand more. Listen, if we have been blessed in any measure, we all are accountable. And if we have been given a life of salvation and have been given entrance into the kingdom at a very early age and have an idea of what it is to to live for the Lord earlier than others, by all means, we are required that much more to seek God first and to put him first and to be a light to our world. But again, how did we get in? It's the grace of God that got us in. Think back to what we talked about in Psalm 90. God is way beyond us, and yet he shares his abundance with us. That should never be something we feel entitled about or take for granted. And woe is me if I ever think that. And I have before. I'm sure all of us have before. But let's put it in perspective what we've been given, how we've been given this chance at life. It's because God invited us. It's because God's grace saved us. Whether you just started taking it serious or whether you have wasted much of this year or whether you've been doing it since the very beginning, understand the grace of God that gave you this chance. Now, to close, I want you to turn over to 2 Timothy 4. uh, And I want to talk specifically about looking, considering how faithful we've been and how we have honored God or how we haven't honored God with our lives. In 2 Timothy, Paul is writing to a young Timothy, young, young pastor of the church at Ephesus, and he's contrasting Timothy's beginning with his own ending because Paul is about to be put to death for his faith. And Timothy's just getting started. I think it's appropriate that we end the year like this because some of you, some of us, some of us may be ending one of the final years of our life. Some of us might be ending one of the final days of our life. Others of you may just be getting started. But the same word applies to all of us. Listen to what Paul writes to Timothy in chapter 4, verse 1. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom or in his kingdom's coming. I charge you in front of the Lord who will judge the living and the dead by his appearing. Notice how he puts it all on an equal playing field there. Alive or dead. This really puts in perspective the timeline that we talked about earlier. It's going to end when we reach our destination. That destination is the kingdom of God. But I want you to think about the timeline of our universe. There was a beginning, and there's going to be an end, and somewhere in the middle, God touched down with Jesus. But that's the point that mattered to us. God started it, God entered it to save us, and God will end it. That's the only three points that really matter. It ends when he says so, and those alive will transition into eternity. Those who have fallen asleep will wake up to a new and glorious reality. In some ways, they already have because they've exited this timeline and stepped into that greater reality when they pass away. But what does this verse seem to suggest that our focus should be while we live, knowing that it could end any time, knowing that the Lord will return to judge those that are alive and remain and those that have already passed that we should be focused on his return, his appearing, his kingdom. This year, his kingdom could come before the end of this year or 2023 could be the threshold for his kingdom. Regardless, this is the point. It's about our preparation for God's kingdom and that we make eternal investments. Eternal investments. And this is where y'all hear me harp about this a lot, but I, I believe this a lot. You know what that means? It means there may not be any sort of payoff here on earth. 
But that's not our destination and that's not our goal and we shouldn't be worried about it if we don't receive any payoffs here on earth. We don't love to be loved here on earth. We don't give to receive here on earth. We don't serve to be served here on earth. A lot of people of this world, they only love to be loved back. They only give to get back. They only serve so they can take another promotion and be served. That's not why we do what we do, church. If that's why you do what you do, you will always be disappointed. Now, I know people will say, whoa, whoa, the reason why I love is because I expect somebody to love me back. And if they don't love me back, I'm going to let them know it. Or the reason why I give is because I expect God to give back to me. Listen, that's old covenant thinking. That's old world thinking. And I, I know what the Bible says. I believe it. But listen, the people in Israel, they didn't know there was a kingdom of God coming that was greater than this world. They didn't know there was something beyond the sand that their feet were on. They didn't know there was a greater reality. They thought it was about living as long as you can, holding on to as much as you can, and hoping you don't die. But come on, we know the bigger picture, don't we? We know what Jesus said. Those that try to save their life will lose it. And what does it profit a man if he gains the world but loses his soul? We know the bigger picture, don't we? And I'm glad that we know the bigger picture, don't you? I'm glad that we're not holding on to what we get in this life because this life is fleeting and passing away. I'm glad there's more than what we get in this life. And listen, God takes care of his people. He's taken care of all of us, all of you. We all know that. But I don't love and give and serve to get back in this life. I give and you should give. We love and we serve because we are preparing for something greater to come. If we are preparing for eternity, we should make eternal investments with confidence in eternal rewards. But here's my point. Eternal investments cost way more than earthly investments. There's a return on earthly investments, and you wouldn't make the investment if you couldn't make the return, right? You give because you expect there to be something coming back. You work to get paid. You do something to get something in return. That's what you do out of human nature, of course, right? Who wouldn't? Earthly investments say, I'm only going to love and give and serve to the point that I'm guaranteed something in return. But eternal investments require sacrifice. And that's what Paul's setting Timothy up for. Luke 14, Jesus said that whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Here's the point. Are we... Do we have enough? Have we committed enough to finish this race well? So the litmus test for eternal preparation, kingdom preparation, is that we love and give and serve until it costs us. I always tell people, you know how much you should give? Until it hurts. You know how much you should love until it hurts. You know how much you should serve until it hurts, until you start to get a little bit wearied because you are giving more than you think you maybe should. There's no percentage on that, right? There's no time on that. There's no, hey, I, you love me, I love, there's, that's, that's, that's a reality that we learn as Christians. You give until it costs you because that cost denotes something you're gonna gain in the future. Listen, y'all know me, I'm never gonna anchor your expectations in this life. I'm never gonna make your appetites only big enough for this little world that's gonna pass away one day. I want better for you. God wants better for you. That's what Paul is urging young Timothy to focus on. This attitude might not be popular on earth. It might not be popular on earth. And he tells Timothy that. People don't want to talk about eternal investments. They want to talk about earthly investments and earthly gains because nobody wants to consider the, consider the fact that one day this life is going to end. 
Nobody wants to hear that. We want to hear about living as long as we can, as rich as we can, as healthy as we can, as much as we can, right? But that's not our gospel, is it? Listen to verse 2 through 5. Paul urges Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. They will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you will be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist and fulfill or finish your ministry. And again, he's talking to Timothy, the preacher, but I'm talking to all of us, the believers, and this is relevant to all of us. He says they'll turn aside to fables. Let me tell you what he's talking about there. The myths of our current age are all about luring our faith from God and diverting our kingdom preparation towards lesser developments. You know what lesser development means? It means that you would invest your life in something that is inferior to the kingdom of God. It might be big in your world, but it's small in God's world. Go back and read Psalm 90. How big is God? How small are we? How fragile are we? Passing away, blowing away, burning away, right? We, we read it. The myths of our current age is it's all about this life and this life only. How can I protect and prop up and preserve? But that's not the kingdom, is it? alluring our faith away from God and diverting our kingdom preparation towards some lesser development. Listen, church, we all come up against this wall every single day, whether it's doctrinal issues, cultural ambitions that disrupt the message from God's word. There's a lot of noise in our world today. There's a whole lot of noise. From politics to social issues, let's not get distracted from our mission. Why are we here? What are we doing with our time? Preparing for the kingdom of God. Preparing for the return of Jesus. Investing in his kingdom. That's what our mission is. That's the only thing that's our mission. Our greatest desire should be preparing for his arrival our greatest desire should be to see his kingdom come. Listen to how Paul closes this. I am ready to be poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Therefore, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Listen to this. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who loved his appearing. What is Paul anchoring this whole thing in? Those that are preparing and anticipating and looking forward to his kingdom above everything else. Why is Paul giving his life up? Why is he telling Timothy to give your life up? Because it's worth it, right? But what is he saying to Timothy? Not everybody's gonna buy into this, Timothy. Because the myth of our age is to invest in something that looks more appealing but is lesser in every category. So what is Paul telling us and what is Paul telling Timothy and what does Paul's life exemplify? A life of kingdom preparation. Here's three things. I've already, I've already said them, but I'll give them to you one more time. How can we knit our hearts to Jesus and prepare our hearts for his kingdom? Love unconditionally. I know this is against our nature, but listen, love unconditionally those that he's put in your life because that's what Jesus did for you.
Give abundantly. Give without limits to his movement and to his people and to his church. Give and give and give. Yeah, I mean money, but I mean anything else too. Give your life away. Give abundantly. And the more you give, the more your heart will be knit to him and the more you'll be preparing for him. The more you invest in you, the more you'll wish you could hang on to this life. That's how it works, right? The bigger you build and the more you buy and the more you have, the more you make you the God of your world. We know how it works. Give abundantly and serve diligently. You know what that means? That means don't give in to the people of this world that make it difficult. Diligence means you endure, you are persistent, you don't resist. Love unconditionally, give abundantly, serve diligently. That's what Paul poured his life out doing. That's how he finished well, and that's how you can finish well too. Whether you just started working at the 11th hour, whether you've been working all day long, listen, I know how it is out in the hot sun. You can get a little tired and get a little aggravated sometimes, but keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep loving unconditionally. Keep giving abundantly. Keep serving diligently because your kingdom is on the horizon. It's coming. And when you think about how you think it's a little bit farther away or you can't keep your eyes on the prize, think about Psalm 90. We are all just holding on this life and we're numbering our days because we prepare for something greater to come. If we love his appearing, if we love the thought of his return, we'll love the mission he's given us. We'll love the preparation process. So church, let's finish this year well. Let's take inventory of where we've been and let's set our priorities for what's ahead. Whether Jesus returns or whether our lives end, because either one could happen, or whether we live another year, let's spend our days preparing for his kingdom like we believe it's just around the corner. Do you believe it is? You know how Jesus said we'd be able to tell if we did? Jesus said there'll be a breadcrumb trail. He said, hey, you'll, I can tell you where their heart's at by looking at where the treasure is. What do you treasure the most? Paul told Timothy, treasure the kingdom, treasure the work of the church, treasure the work that God has given you. Love and give and serve. If we've been given a chance to serve God, let's make the most of it. Again, let's number our days so that we can make them count for the kingdom of God. So believe it or not, ready or not, he is coming soon. And 2023 might just be another year in our long wait, but it could be the last year in our wait. It could be your last year, my last year, and everyone else gets to live more. Regardless, it's another lap around the sun. And as a race, as every race goes, eventually there'll be a last lap. And eventually we'll hit the finish line. Don't you want to hit the finish line with your heart like this? Loving and giving and serving, finishing well. I know I do. Thank you all for being a part of this year, uh, making our church such a commitment in your life, in your focus, in your service to God. I pray that we can inspire everybody to continue to be that faithful and to be that focused. Um, Before I have a word of prayer for us, is there anybody who would like to say anything uh, in closing or add to or um, in regards to the year that God has allowed you to live? Thank you, Carolyn. Anybody else?
Church, it's been a good time. Thank y'all for being a part of our, being a part of my family. Lots happened this year. We've added a couple people to our church family um, through uh, birth and then through some that are going to church. We're so thankful for those additions. I'm thankful for those of you that have been committed throughout all these years. Um, and I look forward to what's going to be ahead. And regardless of what this life brings us, I know what God has in store for us. And I'm excited about that. Let me pray for you. Father, I love you. Thank you. Thank you so much for this invitation. Lord, we were out in the marketplace just being idle, wasting our time, wasting our lives, not having anything else in the world to think about or worry about. And you came and found us. And you said, do you want to live a life that matters? Do you want to live a life of purpose? Lord, thank you for bringing us into your field and bringing us into your kingdom and giving us a, a glimpse of what it really means to live. Lord, thank you for these that have been here tonight and have come faithfully to these Wednesday night services. Thank you for allowing us to have one last time of worship in your house before the year ends. Lord, thank you for keeping our eyes on Jesus and help us to be like Paul told Timothy to be, to be faithful in season and out of season and to not be distracted by the myths of this world, but to have our hearts knit to Jesus. Lord, give us a loving heart. Give us a giving heart. Give us a serving heart. Help us to be like Jesus because he shows us the way. And one day he will come and receive all of us into his kingdom. And Lord, we can't wait. Lord, bless each and everybody here tonight. Lord, bless them throughout every avenue that could possibly come their way so that they might return it all to you and see you glorified in the last few days of this year and in all the days of the next. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.